Welcome to the Fremont Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. We are a family of believers who meet in Fremont, Indiana every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We are attempting to follow Jesus by loving God and loving people. If you would like to support Fremont Community Church, go to www.fremontcommunity.org. And then we'll open up God's Word. Beautiful Savior, I, I'm so grateful for your Word. I'm so grateful for your presence. I'm so grateful for the activity of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Lord, do what you love to do here this morning. Speak to our hearts. As I bring this message, Lord, that you put on my heart this week, Lord, I ask that it would be the seed sent out by the sower and that we would be the soil prepared to receive it. And that seed would find a place in our hearts and rise up, grow up in us for a harvest of righteousness for your name's sake, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we've spent the last four weeks studying the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we have been doing that both on Sunday night and on Wednesday nights, uh, you know, kind of going together. But as of this week, this is loosely connected to, the, to that conversation around the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit took me in a different direction. And so we're going we're gonna to go to John chapter 15 this morning. And, uh, and, but we are continuing our verse-by-verse exploration of the, what the New Testament has to say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit every Wednesday night from 7.30 to 8.30 right here in the building or right there on Facebook Live. I also want to remind you, uh, this is a new thing, but even if you do not have a Facebook account, you can go to our website, fremontcommunity.org, and watch our services there, even without logging into Facebook. I know some of you don't have Facebook accounts, and that's fine. I wish I didn't have to, because I don't like it at all. But um, uh, out there on the FremontCommunity.org website, you can watch them without connecting, connecting to Facebook. Okay, we're going to read John chapter 15, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, I think. Yes. This is from the New American Standard Bible. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We'll stop there for now. 
As always, it is important that we understand the context of any part of Scripture. So the story of what is happening when Jesus delivers this, uh, this parable about the vine and the branches is that Jesus has, is, is leaving the upper room. What he says almost immediately before this is, let us go up from here. And he's been up in the upper room uh, for the, uh, they have done the Lord's Supper, which we'll do later today, and uh, he has instituted the Lord's Supper. And before that, he has washed his disciples' feet, uh, a story that's only given to us by the Apostle John. And um, so Jesus is, this is the night before, this is the night when Jesus was betrayed, the night before Jesus went to the cross. And Jesus uses the, this part of the, uh, uh, of, you know, these last moments prior to going to the cross, Jesus uses them to say some deeply important things. Okay, so all the way from John chapter 13, all the way through John uh, 17 or 18, I'm trying to remember, 17, is the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples prior to being taken away. Because in John 18, Judas betrays him and he's taken away to the cross. So the Apostle John, and what's interesting is, the rest of John's gospel is, moves very quickly through the ministry of Jesus. And, but the further in it goes, the slower it gets. So that as the closer we get to the resurrection of Jesus, the, the more slowed down John gets until John zooms way in to these few hours prior to Jesus' uh, crucifixion and spends a whole four chapters, five, four chapters, on these important words. And in John 13 to 17, I mean... We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks. In fact, we did spend weeks and weeks and weeks last year on John 13 through 17 on, in our Wednesday night Bible study. Um, and we might do that again because these chapters are vitally important. But as I was praying about what we should do this week, I thought we were going to continue on in our discussion of spiritual gifts. Uh, and the Holy Spirit said, I want to make a slight course adjustment for Sunday morning, uh, and I want you to go to John 15, and I want to talk about abiding in the vine. Now, we have talked about that quite a bit in this church over the years, but I, and I told the Lord that. I was like, well, I've preached that already, Lord. I mean, are you sure? And he said, I want to go to John 15 and talk about abiding in the vine. I said, okay, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. Whatever it is you want to do, I'm, I'm your servant. He, was, he made it very clear. And Jesus has begun to say some things that, that the disciples would need to hear after his death and resurrection. These are, you know, we used to say the Bible was basic, basic instructions before leaving earth. Well, this is Jesus' final instructions before he leaves the earth. Does that make sense? Yeah. And Jesus gives us this parable. And he says to them, Here's the deal, guys. I want you to think of me as a vine. Now, painted on, or actually I think it's carved into the gate that you would have to walk out of 
to get from where the upper room was located to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, the gate you would have to walk out of had a vine and grapes carved into it and painted on it. So this may have been Jesus going, hey, see that? I'm the vine. You're the branches. Isn't that interesting? doesn't change a thing, but I just think Jesus often did that. There's several times in the Gospels where Jesus was clearly referring to the place where they stood. Okay, like when he says, I, uh, you know, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. He was literally standing at a place called the gates of hell where the emperor was being worshipped and where the god Pan was being worshipped. So that's, that's like why he uses that phrase, but we would totally miss it because we don't understand. But apparently when you walk from where the upper room was and you go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, there's a stone gate there, and that stone gate had a vine uh, carved into it and painted on it. And that the vine has always in Old Testament history been a picture of Israel. If you look in Isaiah and other places, the, the, the Israel is God's vineyard. But Jesus borrows that idea and he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And the father, well, the father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is the guy that takes care of the vines, Right? He's the guy that walks up and down and makes sure the vine is doing well and producing fruit, producing grapes. They knew a lot about vines and grapes because there was really good vineyards there in the area where Jesus was. And he says, I'm the vine, and the father is the gardener or the vine dresser, and you are the branches, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Ooh, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Well, once again, we're dealing with the vagaries of the Greek language because this word that is translated in our, in our, my translation here, does anybody have a different word there instead of takes away in your translation? What do you have, Deshaina? Oh, well, that's later. That's later. I'm talking about, that's in verse 6. This is, I'm talking about in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Okay, well, because there's two things that happen in that verse. One is, you know how they would do the vines? The vines are lifted up. Have you ever seen a vineyard? The vine is, the vine is like held up on these poles, right? And the reason that is, is because the, if the branches are down in the mud and the muck, then they won't produce good grapes, because they're covered over with mud and stuff. Does that make sense? And this word that is translated in the New American Standard is takes away. Much more literally translated is lifts up. And when, when, a, when the vine dresser comes along and sees, uh-oh, one of the branches has fallen down in the mud and it's not going to bear any good fruit down there, he picks it up out of the mud and he cleans it off and he puts it up closer to the vine than it was before. So Jesus comes along, or Jesus is the vine. So the Father comes along and he sees one of the branches, one of us, 
that we've been smashed down into the mud. We've fallen out of our place, and we've been smashed down into the mud. You know, people walk back and forth between the vines, and then that vine gets, somebody stepped on it, and there's grapes on all these other branches, but this branch right here, uh-oh, Oh, it's down in the mud. Well, it's not producing very much. So he pulls it up out from under the mud. He cleans it off and he puts it where the leaves on the branches can get some more sun and where the sap that's flowing through the vine can now flow better into the branch. Now, what Jesus doesn't say in this is what I'm going to say to you is that the Holy Spirit is the sap. I don't mean he is a sap. I mean he is the sap. The life that flows from the vine into the branch that causes it to bear fruit is sap, just like a tree, right? I mean, if you think about it, if you would cut it, then a liquid would come out, and that liquid is the water and the nutrients and the things that have come up out of the soil and are now flowing through the vine and into the branches. And the Holy Spirit is that life that flows through Christ and into us. That's good, isn't it? But it's true. The Holy Spirit is that life It doesn't make him any less of a person. He is still a person and the third person of the Trinity. If Jesus can be a a vine, the Holy Spirit can be sap. Amen? It's a metaphor, folks. But this is how it works. And when we get, when we fall out of our place and we get trampled in the mud and covered with the dirt and the mire, the Father is so sweet and kind. And he comes along and he picks us up out of the mud and he washes us off and he cleanses us and he puts us in our right place. And I would say that a later verse makes this really clear that that's exactly what Jesus meant because in verse 3 he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He says, you're not down in the mud. But there's some people that are, and those people that are, God's the Father is going to pick them up and clean them off and put them in a place where they can be productive, where they can bear fruit. But that's not the only thing the Father does. The next thing the Father does, okay, the first thing he does is he picks up the branches that fell in the mud. Those branches that aren't bearing fruit, he cleanses them and he makes them, puts them in a place where they'll be able to bear fruit again. Are you one of those? Are you saying, when I look at my life, I don't see a lot of the fruit of the presence of God in my life right now? Well, cry out to the gardener this morning because he's here. He wants to lift you up and cleanse you and put you in a place, a new or renewed place, where his life can be in you again and new fruit can come out from you. And what is the fruit? The Apostle Paul tells us And we're going to spend some time in that soon, as soon as the Holy Spirit allows me to go there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. The character and the nature of Jesus is the fruit that Jesus is referring to. When the life of God is present within us, we begin to look like Jesus. We begin to produce Jesus' fruit. People are like, wow, you kind of, you're a nice person. Boy, I, I just sense the presence of God when I'm near you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is flowing through me. I'm a branch that's deeply connected to the vine. Does that make sense? But the branches, that's, the, what, he, that's what the Father does to the branches that are not bearing fruit. But the branches that do bear fruit, I've got even better news for you. 
He prunes. He prunes. See, what a good gardener does is goes along and he or she will take a look at that thing and say, see, this little branch right here is never going to be able to hold very much fruit. So I'm just going to snip that part off so that more life, more sap, more of the plant's energy is going to go to the parts of this branch that can bear better fruit. And the pruning process is all about making your fruit more abundant and better quality. See, the Lord comes and picks up the branches that aren't bearing fruit, and he makes them available to bear fruit. But the branches that are bearing fruit, he prunes so it will bear more and better fruit. He cuts away the unnecessary and unfruitful parts of us, the distractions and the immaturity. The distractions and the immaturity. As I have grown up in Jesus, there have been things that earlier on in my walk with Christ were not a big deal. Like, you know, I could, I could, uh, I could read or watch things or whatever. That, and it didn't really bug me. Or I could be involved in certain activities. And it was like, all right, not, no big deal. But the, the older and the more mature I get in Jesus, the more sensitive I am. Where I'm like, you know what, I'm not interested in that at all. Where it isn't that, it isn't that I was like in sin prior to this. But it's the, the closer I get and the more that the life of the Spirit is inhabiting me, the more I have no time for things that are worthless. And the more I want to invest my life in things that are going to bear fruit, now, I remember, sometimes those are questionable things, things that could be good or could be bad. Sometimes those are things that are completely good, but that aren't my calling for this season. That's not where the Lord wants me to bear fruit in this moment, in this season. And so the Lord says, nope, I'm, I'm pruning that out for this season. I'm pruning that out. I don't want you doing that right now. I remember when I was... Um, much younger than I am now. I can't remember how long ago it was, but I was doing about 18 different things ministry-wise, okay? I had a ton. Like, I was, um, I was leading a small group for the youth ministry. I was leading worship for the youth ministry. I was teaching a Sunday school class. I was, the direct, I was a worship leader at the House of Prayer in Fort Wayne, and I was the director of the worship team to the House of Prayer Fort Wayne. I was on the Sunday morning worship team, and I was in the choir. And there was probably a couple other things, too, <laughs> that I was doing. And the Lord gave me this picture, and he, he showed me a flashlight. And he said, this, this is, this, this, Flashlight does really good at giving light, but I didn't call you to be a flashlight. I called you to be a laser beam. And you aren't going to be cutting through the things I've called you to cut through 
as a flashlight. You're too diffuse. You're too spread out. Your energy is too spread across a large area. I want you to focus. And I had to go and I had to like quit like seven things, which did not make me happy or any of the people that I went to and said, I'm not doing this anymore. But it's what the Lord called me to do. He was pruning me and saying, my, my purpose for you in this season is this thing, this one thing, and I want you to focus on this so that your fruit here can be better and more, and more of it. Because when you're doing all of those different things all at once, your energy is too spread out you can't really give yourself to anything in a way that's going to bear fruit. None of the stuff that I was doing was bad. It was all good, and they were all things that somebody needed to be doing that. And, uh, I, you know, I wasn't terrible at it, and so I was happy to do it. But these were all stealing from each other so that none of it got all of me. Does that make sense? And God came in and pruned me so that I could bear more and better fruit in one area than little wimpy fruit in 18 areas. I would ask you this morning, where are you giving your life? What are all the places that are drawing energy from you? You know you only have a, a finite amount of energy, skill, and attention. And the more you're doing, sometimes the less each, well, always, the less each of those things is getting. And the Holy Spirit may be calling you, He may be pruning you this morning and saying, I want you to turn this off and I want you to focus there. And then, I'm not talking about just church things. I'm talking about the whole swat, the whole, your whole life. What are you giving your energy and attention to? Because the gardener will come and he will prune. And sometimes pruning's not very pleasant. Sometimes he cuts things away that we wouldn't rather he cut away. But I really like doing that. Yeah, but it's stealing from your fruit in other places. He knows what he's doing. Listen to him. Then in verse 4, Jesus gives us the secret to bearing good fruit in every season. Abide in me, he says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus doesn't repeat himself on accident. Those two verses are extremely similar to one another for a reason.
Jesus wants it to make, make it extremely clear to all of us what it requires to bear fruit. We have to abide in the vine. Yes, ma'am? No. Do it. Yep. Yes. Sorry for those of you online, but is that the New Living or the Message? That's the Message. Go read the Message version of that. It is very good. Make your home in me, because that's what this word abide means. Make yourself at home in me. Make yourself at home in me. Set up shop in me. Live your life in me, connected to me. How do we do that? Well, he tells us in the next few verses, but I'm going to... Abiding is not something that we do on accident. Abiding is active and intentional. You can't abide in Jesus accidentally. It doesn't happen. The movement of the world around us, the flow of the river around us, we have to swim upstream all the time, all day long. The Christian life is like walking up the down escalator. If you don't choose to continue to walk, you will be pushed backwards because the world we live in would cut us off from the life flow of Jesus. It would pull us out. And by the way, it doesn't do it violently. It does it slowly, incrementally, quietly. Because the enemy doesn't want you to be aware of the fact that you have been disconnected from the vine. The enemy wants to do that without, so that you're going along and then someday you're like, hey, I don't have any fruit. What's going on? <gasps> I'm disconnected from the vine. What happened? That's how the enemy works. He's sneaky. And he slowly, little by little, disconnects you from the vine, which is why abiding requires attention, which is why abiding requires intention. Okay? To do something intentionally means to do it on purpose. I am making the choice to abide in Jesus. It's a wonderful, wonderful little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. I would recommend it to all of you. The Practice of the Presence of God. It's not a long book. It is a series of conversations that the author had with a, with a monk named Friar Lawrence. Father Lawrence. Friar Lawrence. I don't remember his father. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What? Brother Lawrence. There you go. Brother Brother Lawrence. Anyway, so he has these conversations with this man, and this man is known for carrying the presence of God. This man is known just, just to be near him is to be near Jesus. And the conversation is, how did this happen? 
Where did you, where did this come from? And he would just say, well, I just spend all my time with Jesus. But what does that look like? Well, it looks like when I'm doing dishes, which was his primary job at the monastery, was he was the dish, the dish guy. He said, I make that, I make that sink a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I find such joy and delight in that place as I'm washing the dishes. He said he initially hated that job, but he decided to turn that job into a place of encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so now as he's washing dishes, he's weeping, he's rejoicing, he's, he's receiving revelation from the Father. He's just, it's just a beautiful place. And he loves to go back to the sink over and over again. Why? Because he meets with Jesus there. And he talks about, well, what do you do when you sin? He says, well, obviously, if I'm sinning, I must be out of connection with the Father because I wouldn't sin if I was connected with the Father. So I just say, oh, I've, got, I've come disconnected from the Father. I'll just reconnect to the Father. I'll just go back into the presence because I'm not going to sin when I'm in face-to-face with the Father. He said he's endeavored to make his entire life a practice of the presence of God. Over and over again, he is choosing, actively re-engaging with the life flow of the Spirit that comes from the vine who is Jesus. We tend to drift away. But in abiding, we return. And one of the things that I love that he says is, he says, oh, I don't, I, don't make, I don't let the enemy make me feel shame or feel guilt. Of course, what else would I do when I'm not in the presence? I'm wholly reliant upon the presence of Jesus at all times. So if I'm away from the presence, of course I'm not going to act like him. So I just make my way back. How many times do we, I remember once when I was a teenager and the Lord had been really dealing with me about certain issues in my life, and I had been doing really good, but then I really royally screwed up. And I went three days without talking to Jesus because I was, I was so ashamed. But at that time in my life, I was, that was when I was first learning to hear the voice of God and first learning to read my Bible and first learning. Really, it was when, I, when my relationship with God first began and I remember I used to, because my appointment with Jesus was, was as soon as I got home from school every day. I would go up to my bedroom and I would spend an hour with Jesus every day during that time. And it got to the point where when I would walk in the front door of my house from school, the presence of the Lord would meet me. Like, I'm waiting. And I just loved that so much. And so I would go up and Jesus and I would have our conversation and and it was an awesome time of growing and learning to love Jesus more. But in this, mo- in this situation, I was so upset and so ashamed. I was just like, I'm not, I'm, I, didn't, I hadn't talked to him. And one day, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I remember I was laying on my bed, and I had a waterbed in those days. Remember waterbeds? And I was laying in my bed, <laughs> and I just finally said, I can't do it anymore, Jesus. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And this is the Holy Spirit just saturated me in that moment. And he said to me, why on earth did you wait so long? 
I've been waiting here. I forgave you the moment you made the mistake, and I've been waiting for you, and now thank you for coming back to me. Why did you wait so long? And I felt like he was as relieved as I was because I had missed him. But I had held myself back from the presence of God out of my own shame and my own fear. It wasn't God saying, I don't want to talk to you. No, it was me going, I don't want to look at you. I feel so bad. We do that, don't we? I'm in a, a Bible study group, which is about to come to an end, and it makes me very sad. But it's, it's, it's been a 26-week study on the book of John with some theologians who are, wow, so good. And one of them is, he is a, he's an Eastern Orthodox theologian who is, he's, uh, he, he translates the early church fathers. That's like what he does for a living. And his translation of the early church father Irenaeus, which uh, I can't, I'm, I bought it and I can't wait to read it. It's probably going to mess with my head in big ways, but Irenaeus was just three generations after Jesus. Irenaeus was the student of Polycarp, and Polycarp was a student of John, the John that wrote this gospel. And he'd he, this guy, and, 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 we're, so I'm, and I'm studying the book of John with these teachers, and man, it's just deep waters. It's so deliciously good. I have to, like, go back and listen to stuff three and four times to be like, why did I get that? But he quoted from Irenaeus, and he says, um, he says that Adam and Eve put fig leaves on themselves because, you know, that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they cover themselves with fig leaves, right? Well, if you know anything about fig leaves, th- those would be not comfortable leaves to use. They're very rough. They're very, they're, like, if you rub them on your skin, they actually can take the skin off. And Irenaeus said that Adam and Eve used fig leaves because they were rough. That they were punishing themselves. That they purposefully used fig leaves because they wanted to do something to show God how sorry they were. Isn't that interesting? And don't we do the same? Our most ancient father and mother were just like us. And we catch ourselves in shame. And God was looking for them, but they hid from him. Cowering and shivering in their fig leaves that were cutting them. Oh, how sad. But don't we do the same? Learning how to abide. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 is a verse that has helped me so many times to learn how to abide in the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, it is in returning and rest that you shall be saved, in quietness and trust shall be your strength, but you are unwilling. Hear him. In returning, some, some, sometimes translated repentance and rest, you shall be saved. 
in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So the only thing that keeps us from the fruitfulness we were built to have, we were built to reflect the nature of God. When God created us, he said, hey, they're like me. That was his first declaration over the human race. They will be like me. This is what we were created to do, and this is what Jesus died to restore to us, was to be the image bearers of God. And how does it happen? In repentance and in rest, in quietness and trust. The only thing that keeps us from fruitfulness is that we do not remain or abide and make our home in God. We do not learn to return to rest to quiet ourselves, and to trust. Learning how to abide is learning how to surrender. I think we get this picture, especially when I say things like abiding is intentional and it's a choice. I think we get this picture that it means that, that, that it means we're going to have to push really hard and work our butts off to try and stay in Jesus. No, 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 no. It's exactly the opposite, actually. Because Jesus is all around us all the time, and what it requires is trust. Verse 7, if you, uh, this is back to... Learning how to abide is learning how to surrender. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 says, Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. That whole part of Hebrews chapter 4, it says that there is a Sabbath rest remaining for the people of God. And that Sabbath rest is Christ himself. And it points back to the children of Israel who stood on the edge of promised land and stood looking across the river and it, the, they had the, the, the 12 spies, 10 of them telling them, it's not going to happen, we can't do it, there's no way. And two of them saying, yeah, God's got this, no problem. And they listened to the 10 spies rather than the two. Instead of, not tr instead of trusting that God knows what he's doing, they decided to trust the people that said that God's an idiot if he thinks he could do this. And because of that, an entire generation died in the desert because of their unbelief. Because they couldn't trust. And the writer, the author of the Hebrews is saying to them, don't be those, don't be that generation learn how to trust, and enter into the Sabbath rest of God. So be diligent. If you're going to strive to do anything, if you're going to work hard at anything, work hard at resting in Jesus. If you're going to work hard at anything, work hard at resting in Jesus. There's a million things that can keep us from trusting enough to rest. You remember trust falls? Remember those? Everybody remember trust falls? 
A trust fall, for those of you that don't know, is something that maybe they still do this at like marriage retreats and things, I don't know. Is where you just allow yourself to fall backwards into the arms of someone in order to physically demonstrate that you trust them. You do not attempt to catch yourself. So if they don't catch you, you're going to hit the ground hard. That's a trust fall. And that's what trust looks like. But I put my whole life into the hands of the one who saved me. I did not save myself. And I'm going to fall back into his arms and into his presence. I'm going to believe the things that he told me were true with all of my heart. And I'm going to put all of my weight and all of my trust in what he has said to me because he is trustworthy. I'm going to live my life in such a way that if Jesus isn't trustworthy, I'm in gigantic trouble. That's what abiding looks like. Really actually trusting him to the point where if he doesn't come through, I'm not going to be okay. We like to trust Jesus with the things that don't really matter, right? But will we trust him with things that matter everything to us? Will you trust him with your kids? I remember when Isaac was little, he slept in our room in our bed for quite a long time. And when we decided to have another one, <laughs> we said, you, you, you got to get out of the bed, kid, because there's another baby coming and he's going to need to be in here and we don't need two babies in here. So we put Isaac in his bed and I remember being really, really scared because I wouldn't be able to wake up because I used to, I was very afraid of sudden infant death syndrome. I was very scared of that, as most parents probably are. And I loved being able to just reach over and feel if he was breathing. And the first night that I put him to bed in his own crib, I was freaking out. And the Lord said to me, he's more mine than yours. And I was like, okay. He said he could something could happen anytime, any place, and he would be gone. You have to trust me that I love him and that I love you and that it's gonna be okay. Whew. That was tough. So I trust fold back into the father's arms and I walked out of that room. And I don't know what's going on with him now. I don't even pay any attention anymore. Okay. He turns 19 tomorrow. Yes. I have a college student in my home. 
I now have three teenagers at my home. And Michelle was like, big deal. Learning how to abide is learning how to trust. Learning how to abide is learning how to let his word live in us. Chapter 17, uh, 15, verse 7 of John. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. For my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So abiding is trusting, but abiding is also letting his word live on the inside of me. Now, does that mean memorization? Probably. Yes. We should be memorizing scripture. We should be familiar with scripture. But I would say it means more than that. We should be praying scripture. We should let the word live in us. Another, I, I, I know we're going to be doing a sermon series on the, the fruit of the Spirit. And another one that I know we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a sermon series on spiritual practices. Going back to the idea of muscle memory. And one of those is praying the Scripture. We've got to learn to pray the Scripture. I have back there on that table, or if they're gone from there, I have a whole thing full of them. Our, the prayer liturgy that I put together for you is 80% Scripture. There's a couple of ancient prayers from the, from the church, but most of it is the Psalms or other places in the Scriptures. And praying the Scripture will make it live inside of us as we continue. It, it brings it to life as we take it back to God and we pray it back to God and we let those words bounce around inside of us. I read Hebrews 4.11 to you, but let me read Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When the word of God is living inside of you, it's going to start messing with your thoughts in beautiful ways. It's going to rub up against those thoughts that don't align with the kingdom, and it's going to wear them down. And it doesn't happen quickly, and it doesn't happen instantly. It happens slowly, like a slow drip over time. As the Word of God lives inside of us, it will slowly grind away at, our, at all that's within us that doesn't match the kingdom that's not of love's, love's kind, and we will slowly, oh, day after day after day, be formed into the image of Christ Jesus. But that doesn't happen on accident. So we need to fill our lives with God's Word. I try and let God's Word be the first thing I see in the morning. Sometimes it's the second because I'm looking to see if there's a two-hour delay. But other than that, 
It's the first thing that I see in the morning. I won't look at Facebook. I won't look at the news. I won't look at anything else until God has had a chance to talk to me first. Let him set the table and let everything else be a visitor because I live in the vine. Two more and then we're going to take communion. In fact, let's, let's get ready for that. Learning how to abide is learning how to be loved by God. Verse 9 of chapter 15 of John. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So he is describing the, the pieces of abiding. The first is trust. The second is the word of God needs to be abiding in us. The third is we need to be abiding in the love of God. We need to be living in the love of God. We need to know that we are the beloved of God. We need to believe in his great love for us. And we need to let the truth of his love destroy the lies of the enemy. Because the enemy is going to tell you all day that God doesn't love you. God's not going to provide for you. God isn't who he says he is. And when we live in the love of God, all of those lies of the enemy just get pushed out. Because light never has difficulty getting rid of darkness. We are having our friends bring around the communion so you can stay where you are, but they're going to bring. And if you need gluten-free, uh, we have that. So just raise your hand and let us know that, that's, that you need gluten-free, and we'll make sure that gets to you. They are going to put it in your hand, and they are wearing gloves and masks so that so that you know they can. We can do this in a more sanitary way. We have to live in the knowledge of the love of God. In fact, I would take ver a verse like John fifteen nine, and I would just mutter it to myself: "As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love." There's another really good one in John 17, which says even more, as the Father has loved me, he, is, he also loves you. How much does Father God love God the Son? That is how much he loves you. Let it fill you. And the final thing, Learning how to abide is learning how to keep his commandments by loving one another. Verse 10 through 13, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So he says, abiding requires keeping the commandments. And then he tells us what the commandment is. He makes it extremely clear. Abiding isn't just keeping. It's not the Ten Commandments. 
We have to live in God's love for us and we have to love each other. Uh Uh-oh, that's the hard one. Learning how to be loved by God can be difficult for sure, but it's not nearly as difficult as loving each other. That's a lot harder. Thanks, guys. Abiding is learning how to trust. Abiding is letting His Word live in us. Abiding is learning how to be loved by God. Abiding is loving each other. I think that's quite enough to be getting on with, yes? As we do these things and engage in these activities, fruit is going to come. You see, the vine doesn't have to work hard at producing fruit. I mean, the branches don't have to work hard at producing fruit when they're connected to the vine. It just happens. It just happens. Fruit happens. It just starts happening. Wow, look, fruit. We're going to take, we're going to physically represent our abiding in the vine this morning by coming to the Lord's table. Has everyone been served? Wonderful. I have. Let's take the bread. Jesus took the bread after supper and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. This is all of me. And I'm giving it to you. In John 6, he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. There's a very real sense in which this that you hold in your hands is the flesh of Jesus. It doesn't, we don't believe in transubstantiation where it turns into the actual but in, in, a, in a completely real way, as we come in faith and we take this in faith, this is the substance of Christ. And he was torn so that we could be grafted in. Let's receive the very substance of our Savior this morning together. Jesus, we receive all of you. The 
Let us be grafted into the vine. And as this cracker is going to become a part of our bodies, let us become a part of yours. Then he took the cup. After supper, and he said, This is a new covenant in my blood. Isaiah and others had prophesied about the new covenant. Jesus had not spoken of it yet until that day. That a new covenant was going to be sealed in his own blood. And that he, the book of Hebrews tells us, is going to go into the Holy of Holies and present his blood before the Father. His blood that speaks a better word than that of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, but Jesus' blood cries out for reconciliation. Jesus, we take your blood into ourselves this morning. We choose to be reconciled to God. Not by anything that we have done, but by all that you have done, King Jesus. We receive it this morning in faith. Let's take it together. Jesus says, This is the fruit of the vine. So, Lord, we ask, let your Holy Spirit flow through us, the life of God flow through us, and let it bear fruit out of us, the very character and nature of Jesus, the rulership of Jesus in the earth, the breaking forth of the kingdom of heaven through these broken vessels, we ask this morning in the awesome name of Jesus and for his glory, amen and amen. Let's stand. I bless you in the name of Jesus to abide in his presence this week. To learn what it means to abide. I bless you to remember in every moment of every day this week to return, to rest, to trust, and to quiet yourself with him. I bless you to take his word in and let it live in you. And I bless you to love your neighbor as yourself this week. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Thanks, guys. Love you. Have a great week.